So hello all and welcome to another episode on Design to Connect podcast. We are in season two, so that means we are connecting with individuals who are using design to make a positive impact, reduce inequalities and contribute to the SDGs. And our today's guest is someone who have been uh, following his work on LinkedIn for a while. Uh, and I can tell that he's been involved in some really interesting projects. Uh, he's among thousands of other things. One of the co-founders of uh, Poor Collective, which stands for Power Out of Restrictions. We're connecting with him from London now. Am I? Okay. And his name is Sean Adams. Hi, Sean. How are you? Uh, thanks for having me. <laughs> Great. Great to have you here. So I'm going to give a little uh, intro of who you are to our listeners, and then we, we jump into the questions. Uh, so Sean, you are an architect, writer, and lecturer. Uh, you currently teach Bachelor of Architecture. Uh, your master's degree, final year design project, Plinths and Tapestry, has been featured in Financial Times, The Guardian, and was the winner of 2020 Architects Journal Postgraduate Student Prize. Uh, previously, and as an architectural writer, you've uh, written for Financial Times, Wallpaper, The Architects Journal, uh, Reba Journal, Icon Frame, uh, The Guardian, and a lot of other places. Uh, you're also a trustee of the Museum of uh, Architecture and an advisory board member of Open Cities Accelerate program. You're an advocate for diversity and inclusion within the architecture industry, which is really something that is really needed. And uh, you're also, as I mentioned before, one of the co-founders of Poor uh, Collective, which is a social enterprise focusing on the development of communities through the elevation of young people. That's a lot of work for <laughs> three years. <laughs> I'm so happy to have you here. And uh, yeah. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so normally this is not the first question that I ask people, but reading your bio made me um, like curious to to know a little bit about your master project's work. Uh, I wanted to hear from your point of view, why do you think, what was in that work that led it to be featured in like so many different uh, magazines and also to, to win an award? Um, I think I think for for my project Plants and Tapestry, I think the difference between that project and a lot of the student projects that I was seeing at the time was that I wasn't looking to create something really glamorous or something really shiny or something that's immediately quite striking. I was trying to create something that sensitively thinks about the local community, mm-hmm. and then the architecture comes from that because I think a lot of students often I see it with my own students often want to create something that's like really quite cool something really quite architecturally interesting or visually intriguing but Mm -hmm. they don't spend the time to try and understand who who's the client or who's the local community that the the project is serving what is going to be the impact of the project and I think for my project that was that was some of the key aspects of the project so learning from the community so the project was situated in Agbo Bloshi, which has now been, been kind of uh, eradicated. But it, at the time, it was an e-waste graveyard. Okay. And it was looking at the link between how we treat electronics in the Western world and how they're disposed of in, in the Global South. But then looking at how communities in the Global South utilize these uh, the electronics and don't simply throw them away. So there's a lot of things that we can actually learn from the Western world about how we can reuse, reuse, and kind of reinvent technologies, items, materials that we are we, we more often than not throw away. And mm-hmm. I think that kind of sensitivity was what allowed me to create spaces that that were using these materials, that used the local skills that started to bring together the culture in the in the area and in the wider context and mm-hmm. I think having that as a foundation and setting that as a firm foundation I think once the project was, was kind of in full flow and I started thinking about the design I just think I just believed that it made everything a bit more meaningful 
and genuine. And I think that's the thing when you interrogate my project in more detail, you, you notice. Because I think another thing is that in the project, I don't have these massive renders where you're seeing the whole, like you're not seeing the entire design. And that was, that was something that was a, a conscious decision because I could have done these really like massive renders that showed all of this kind of material waste, but it was really down to the details. So how do these materials come together? How do these components work together? What would the detail of, of it look? And I think in every instance, I'd, my approach was slightly different, but it wasn't different for the sake of being different. Mm. It was different because it was like, how do I, how do I show the information that I need to show in the, in the most clearest and coherent way? And, and I guess luckily the people that, that saw my project, they, they quickly understood what I was trying to do and they were, they, they, they were quite impressed by that. And I think that kind of goes to show that there is a desire for for you not to have like the super shiny, massive drawings. Don't, don't get me wrong. I think the drawings are, uh, that I produced are, are really quite beautiful, but they may not be the ones that are immediately eye-catching. But I think that kind of shows you, and that's a testament to the project itself, the context, the the critical thinking behind it all contributes to, to being a project that is award-winning. That's great. Yeah, I think some changes are slowly, slowly happening, especially in the education. Then in the profession, we are still a, a little bit more behind. I mean, people individually, they're trying to work on more impactful designs and like uh, have a yeah deeper critical thinking on what they are designing and why they are designing. But yeah, we're slowly getting there. But yeah, I think you winning this uh, award also gives some hope for for more impactful projects in the future. Uh, so if, if we want to go a little bit deeper, I, I wanted to ask you a little bit about your personal journey. Um, and do you hear the ambulance here? Yeah, yeah barely. It's not too loud. Okay, okay, that's good. Yeah, because it, Italian ambulances are pretty loud. Uh, so yeah, I wanted to ask you about your personal journey and especially as it relates to your work with young people in Poor Collective, I wanted to know what was in your journey that made you think that empowering young people or giving them voices uh, is is a necessary or important work to do. Um, if yeah, if that goes back to anything that you have experienced personally, I would love to hear about it. So when, when I was growing up, there was a... I didn't have really have access to anyone that was doing any creative subjects. So mm -hmm. I say creative or, or design related subjects. So architecture, furniture design, industrial design, graphic design, a lot of creative subjects in, in the design field. And I didn't have any access to, and I always knew I wanted to become an architect. So that was something that I was actively working towards, but during my journey to becoming an architect, especially the early years, I didn't I didn't have any architects that I could speak to. I didn't know any architects, so it was quite hard for me to 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 know where I go next. And luckily, I was very passionate about architecture, and I knew I wanted to become an architect. But I think for many young people, they have an interest or they have a passion, but they don't know where they can put their energy, because mm -hmm. if you can't see what you're trying to become it's very difficult to envision yourself getting there. And for me, that's something that's super important. So because I didn't have an architect that I could go to or speak to or give me some guidance or help me before I got to university, it's super important for me. And this is also the rest of the poor team that we provide opportunities for young people to meet architects, to meet designers, be presented with design opportunities. Because if we're able to inform them we could give them insight into what it's like to be a, become a designer. But also for the students that don't necessarily think they want to become designers, they mm -hmm. may attend a workshop or we may come into their school or we may do something creative with them. And now we've opened their eyes to creative subjects, something that they were completely unaware of. Because when, when I was at school, it was mainly you'd either go to university and study a degree, which will probably be like, law or medicine mm -hmm. or you could go straight into work um or you could either do sports or music so when we're in terms of options or career options 
it wasn't as if I knew about all of these design careers. I didn't know anything about design career. I didn't know what s- subjects you would even study to get into a design career. I think for for each of us in Port, it's super important that we kind of go into these communities, speak to young people and, and try and inspire them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, I feel like right now, um, there's there's a lot of talk about the inclusion of young people, especially let's say in the uh, policy environment. And some steps are being taken. I'm not saying that not nothing is is being done, but still a lot of this uh, inclusion is performative. But the the way um, that I that I see that you you work with for collective is I feel that you're really valuing young people and you're trying to connect with them in a deeper level and really uh yeah he- hear them uh instead of just have them uh around let's say uh so why i i think you you a little bit talked talked about that before but why do you think this is an important job to be done or a necessary job to be done so one one of the main reasons is just the length of time the architecture takes and how long buildings take to be built so mm-hmm. a lot of the time architects are talking about let's say housing for example developing housing in an area housing could take depending on the development it could take decades so if you have young people that are living in a particular area mm-hmm. when a development's done they may actually be the adults of the area they're the mm-hmm. they're the people that run businesses they're the people that live in the area they're the people that have families in the area so a lot of the time the people that are living there already they mm-hmm. may not be at the forefront of the core the community after the development is done so a lot a lot of, a lot of the time is the young people that then inherit that part of of the city and for us it's super important that this is acknowledged because these are the people that are going to be in these communities mm-hmm. and if if we're truly designing cities for for people we need to consider the next generation i think what's also important to mention is that you have lived experiences you have young people that have lived and grown up in the area and their lived experiences are just as valuable as anyone else's and to ignore those their lived experiences i think you're not going to be able to truly and genuinely design and build architecture that speaks to a community so for us, it's super important that you listen to the younger generation because they've got a lot of insight and they're experts in their own experience. We, as architects and designers, we can go into places and we can come up with ideas and designs for the area. But if we're not listening to the local people, the local residents, how genuine is that design going to be? Mm-hmm. And for that, for us, this is super important that you we, we listen to to local communities, we listen to the younger generation. And I think that's how you create architecture and design that people are genuinely invested in. Because a lot of the time you see when local communities aren't engaged, you might create something that's, that looks really beautiful on, on the outside, but inside it has a lot of problems because people aren't interested in leaving and coming and and being in the spaces because they're spaces that they didn't want. So for us, we see it as being incredibly valuable. And rightfully so, we're seeing an increase in policy, increase of um, competitions, having percentages for community engagement, social value, and rightfully so, because developments can't be, can't be distri- like completely de- destroying communities and, and then claiming that they are, are there for the people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. And I, and I think there's a there's a need for a mindset shift around participation and taking a, a space because I think still how we see participation or like yeah again taking a space is as a way to hold power instead of seeing it as a way that we can actually uh, improve as a society. So I think until we we don't. Yeah, in, in, in all of our minds, we don't have that mindset shift. Always participation can create fears in, in some groups within the society because they think if somebody else is taking a space or if somebody else is talking and saying their opinions, they might not have a space to, to share their opinions anymore. So 
yeah, I guess that's that's a part of it also. Um, something else that I wanted to talk to you about is um, the view that like exists uh, towards young people. Uh, I feel there is a negative perception uh, towards youth, especially towards Gen Z. And they are often seen as lazy people that they don't want to work for what they want to achieve. And um, and I think this, let's say, negative perception towards young people has uh, existed for a couple of decades now. And the med media has always also uh, kind of amplified this uh, this idea of, for example, we, we always heard in the movies, when, I, I think when I was growing up, like young and stupid, you know, these kind of phrases. Um, but, um, I, like, personally, I, I have a younger sister, she's 17 years old, and I, I don't see that in her, and also with the things that happened in the past couple of months in Iran, because I'm Iranian, and seeing the youngest people being, you know, uh, yeah, in, in the front row for creating a change, I feel that, uh, Young people are full of ambition, full of sense of justice, full of bravery, and they have this ability to question uh, what is what maybe we are already getting used to, you know. Uh, so I, I said all that <laughs> to ask you about your experience uh, working with young people and like uh, how has maybe your view changed towards youth as you have worked with them? Did you have some prejudices before, or have you always? Uh, thoughts that young people are uh, full of power and they can create change. How how has that uh, experience been for you? Um, I think I think well, I mean, when I was young, for example, I always thought that I had good ideas and I always thought that I could make a change. But a lot of the time, I just wasn't given the platform to make that change. And I, and I've seen it like in the early stages of my professional career, I would have a good idea, but because I'm so junior in in my in my role, the idea isn't taken seriously. But then I'd see someone more senior say the mm -hmm. same thing, and then everyone's kind of clapping and raising their hands because it's such a great idea. So I've always thought that my ideas and my way of thinking it has it has value. And kind of gr growing up, um, I was always kind of told that yeah, your voice has like it, it has it has weight and it and it has importance, but just wasn't really given that platform. And I think there's a lot of young people in the same position. They're, they're really quite critical thinkers and they're thinking outside of the box or because they haven't had certain experiences yet, yeah. they're thinking slightly differently to adults that have maybe had a certain experience because I think a lot of the time adults always say to young people, oh, like, you can't do this or you shouldn't do this because I've had this experience. Mm -hmm. But I think one of the problems is if you're kind of trying to put someone off because you've had a certain experience, you don't know if they're going to have that same experience. They may actually have a slightly different experience or the way they may may actually go about doing things may be completely different because times are always changing. And I think you're completely correct. We're seeing, if we even look at the climate crisis, for example, mm. some, of the, some of the people that are fighting the most for the climate crisis are, are young people. Yeah. And we're increasingly seeing that young people protesting, young people standing up for what they think is, is right, young people voicing their opinions. In this technological age, young people are using te technology to, to voice their opinions, communicate with others. So I think it's is, is a bit dismissive to say young people don't have, don't have enough knowledge or expertise or life experience to, to, to kind of inform things because there's a lot of young people that are doing really great work. Obviously, there there may be a lot of young people that are that are immature or seem to kind of mess around. But I think at the same time, you need to tap into their their interests because a lot of the time, from our experience of work with young people, young people may not be interested because you're not tapping in, into their interests. And I could give several examples of where we've gone and done workshops and the young people aren't really interested because is quite arbitrary. But then when we start to relate it back to their experiences, mm. things that they're doing day to day, so like apps that they're using, software that they're familiar with, then we start getting better engagement. So I think it's, mm. it's about 
understanding what is interesting to, to students because if, if you're trying to get information about developments from students and you're showing them some 16th century architecture they may not be interested but if you're here showing them the latest architecture in, in some of the the most interesting countries that they want they want to visit maybe you get a bit more out of them so i think it's is also knowing your audience in in, in the same way if you're uh, an architect and you're designing for a specific community, you need to know what that community are interested in to get the most out of them. That's true. And and uh, how has like this this learning environment have been for you? Like, do you feel that you're also learning from young people when you're working uh, with them? Like, it, it, do you feel there's a mutual uh, learning environment? How how is that? Uh, Say, yeah, yeah. I, th I think if any any creative or designer should, I think should always be learning. They should be always learning from from fresh minds, mm -hmm. and I've a lot of a lot of ideas and and kind of more fresh ideas come from from younger minds because I think whilst a lot of older older designers have have clearly got loads of experience and and may know how the industry works, I think when you're when when you're much younger there's this kind of sense of quote-unquote naivety or you've got these i these big ideas and because you may not have any responsibilities or you may not know how things work you're you're usually quite quite ambitious and and you'll be like you know what i'm going to change the world or i'm going to do this or i'm going to do this but a lot of the time as you get older you become a bit more jaded like people become a bit more cynical they're like oh, this can't happen because of this but i think a lot of young people are quite positive they're, they're quite positive and they're, and they're willing to use their energy to try and and, and, and fight for things and I think you could, there's always things that you can learn from young people and it's, it's quite funny because I think one of the things that we're seeing now is like how TikTok's being used and how loads of young people are using TikTok and we're seeing older people now trying to use TikTok and use these these social media platforms to try and communicate with other people and communicate with young people Mm -hmm. Now, this is a perfect example of seeing how loads of companies, businesses, organizations are now having to learn from young people. We're seeing we're seeing organizations like Transport for London getting young people to create videos so mm -hmm. that a broader demographic of people can engage with their content. Or we're seeing we're seeing brands and organizations that we would have never imagined work with very young, young um, teenagers. And they're creating videos to try and get people engaged. Like one of one video that I, I've seen, there's, there's a guy on on TikTok that does science videos. He he's he's in it, he's in his twenties, but instead of having like a, a a senior science teacher go over all of these kind of things on the periodic table, because mm -hmm. he's much younger and much more quirky, they're getting loads of young people interested in science. So it's things like this. So how can young people help help to kind of promote, platform, and contribute. And I think this is something that we should be thinking about more because these young creative minds can help us think about the future. That's true. That's very true. And like, um, but something that I'm I'm worried about and I've, I've been thinking, uh, I've been talking to one of my parents about this, is that uh, now how, how can we not make young people only uh, taking the responsibility of the digital things that maybe the older generation are unable to do, you know? How can we make sure that their ideas are also heard? Maybe not non, not only related to technology and how, you know, to disseminate the idea, but also, you know, <coughs> as, as a general term. So it's, it's a, I think it's a difficult balance not to only use young people for the digital platform and for you know for their ability in social media and and all that thing, but also to to hear their their voices about what what should be done for the community in the cities in the society. So yeah, I think we kind of have to find a balance there. Um, I to, I, to, I totally agree. Yeah, but something else that I wanted to to ask you about is uh, if if you've seen like any change in the way that the youth that you worked with uh in, in in how they act as uh you have worked with them because i feel that people act a lot of times uh 
like as a reaction of how we see them. And I, I think if you start valuing young people and listen to them, uh, maybe the troublemaker of the group becomes becomes the one that is problem solving the most. And things like that can happen with, with just a different perception towards uh, towards youth. So I wanted to to ask you if if you have experienced that, if you've seen an impact in how the youth show up through these projects and as, as you go on uh, through a project. Yeah, I think with, with the work that we do at Core, for us, it's not only about working with young people, it's about empowering, upskilling and providing them with skills and the tools to to make a change and voice their opinions, but also to, to make an impact. So mm-hmm. when we're working with young people, we, we often see them grow professionally and personally. We, we usually see them going from maybe a bit quiet, a bit timid mm-hmm. to being much more eloquent, being confident to speak to others and being confident in voicing their own opinion. And I think that's something that's, that's really quite important because upskilling and, and teaching and actually explaining to young people why you're doing something and why it's important can make a big difference. So you, you mentioned about the student that may be a bit disruptive or maybe kind of a, a bit of a, a, a troublemaker in, in the class. But if you're explaining to that young person, this is what you can do with this thing or these skills that you have and the importance of that, I think it can, even if they are still disruptive, eventually they'll come around and begin to understand why they're doing things. And I think this is if you if you look at school schooling systems why we have learning objectives and learning outcomes and even in a higher education why we have the the learning outcomes because I, and 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 I've kind of I've seen this quite a lot when you explain this is what you'll be learning and this is why you're learning this and this is where these skills can take you mm-hmm. it makes much more of a difference than just saying okay we're going to learn this and you see it all the time when students are like well, why do we need to learn about this? Or why do we need to learn about this? Um, because they don't understand the real life applications of the thing that they're learning. But when you're quite clear and you say, well, in the future, if you want to have your own company, you need to be good at time management. You need to be good at speaking. You need to be good at communication. You need to have good writing skills. And then when we're doing these activities and they're like, yeah, I want to have my, actually, I want to have my own business. Or I want to, I want to, have my own fashion brand or I want to design trainers then they start to to pay more attention because they see that and they start to realize okay there's there's a real life application to the things that I'm learning and I think that's something that I would say for other people that are working with young people is is it's not about just kind of working with them is explaining to them this is what you'll be learning if you if you engage with what we're trying to show you true that's true and um yeah, and also, yeah, as as a continuity to what, what you were saying, um, I, I wanted to ask you uh, a little bit about, like, design and impact. And I think you you talked about this a little bit when you were talking about your, your project, your master's uh, degree project. Um, some, something that I wish that I knew earlier, even before starting architecture school, was to know about the power of design and what it can truly do in addressing, let's say, inequalities or creating, let's say, positive impact um, somehow. And um, I wanted to ask you about uh, how and if you're trying to transfer such concepts to young people as you're talking to them about design. Because I feel my generation uh, was, and our education was a lot focused on uh, educating kind of archi stars, even if they were not calling them archi stars, but the mindset was that and the impact and the why behind the design and what design can actually do in the society was not very much the the main focus of the education. And yeah, as as far as you are doing some educational uh, workshops and you you I saw that you've had some resources also on your website. Uh, I, I want to ask you a little bit about the the thinking behind mm-hmm. those creating those workshops, and if if you're trying to like yeah put some such kind of ideas. 
as we are designing those workflows. I, I think at, in the time that we're we're at with the kind of architectural canon, I think now we're moving from a time where people are making kind of like these egotistical buildings and moving more towards architecture that is more socially minded. Mm-hmm. We're seeing a lot of designers move from making physical structures to making structures that may be frameworks, that could be policy, which mm-hmm. could be small scale interventions. So I think architecture for capital A is is changing. We're seeing architects that are using their skills in completely different ways to to really serve communities. And I think if we're talking about architecture and architects building for people, because that's the, kind of the, 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 the real premise of architecture, you're designing spaces for other humans, I think we need to really go back to basics and understand what are the social, economic, political, cultural, like social aspects of whatever you're designing. And I think each of the best architects, these are all things that they're they're considering what is happening at the time. Like even when in architectural education, when you're writing an essay, you're not just writing an essay based on a particular building. You're you're writing about what is it, what the political landscape at the time, how did that impact the society? Like historically what was happening. Like these are all things that now I think we're seeing designers focus on straight away and not only want to make something that is like, okay, this is gonna be a, a really beautiful building that's gonna be on the front the cover of all the magazines. And I think why is why this is super important now because we're seeing it in in the top design schools we're seeing at the architectural association at St. Martin at the Royal College of Art like these top schools in 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 London we're seeing it's it's not about what does the final product look like it's what is the impact of what you're designing and that again can mean that maybe you're not even designing a building at all maybe you're an architect but you're not designing building I think the direction that architecture is moving and this is super important and again if we start to think about the climate crisis if we start mm-hmm. to think of um, embodied carbon the, the 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 cost and um the implications to the environment in this demolishing buildings unnecessarily instead of retrofitting we're seeing in some instances the best types of architecture is using what is exact existing mm-hmm. and redeveloping that as opposed to just simply destroying and I think this is where there's a change because I think a lot of a lot of people assume that architecture is creating something that's new and shiny, but in fact, it doesn't necessarily have to be this new and shiny thing. It can be something more ad hoc, and I think that's something that you could kind of see in my in my project. Some something that's ad hoc that's using existing resources mm-hmm. and and playing on how they can be used. Because another thing that we can't ignore is the cost of architecture. If we're talking about marginalized communities and some of the most vulnerable people in society, they may not have this endless budget that a rich client has to 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 make a a multi million pound house. So we've got to think about how can we make an impact at at an affordable cost as well, or how can it make sense, or how can we get funding? So there's so many ways now that designers are thinking about ways of developing architecture that isn't the traditional and conventional way. And I think in a way, this is, this is much better. And I think it's, it's allowing people to think more critically. And what we're seeing as a result is we're seeing architects working with scientists, anthropologists, and, and the professions becoming much more multidisciplinary. Yeah. I think this is super important because it's now given architects more, more importance in society. Um, so I think this is this is definitely something that we we kind of need to continue doing. And going back to your question of 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 the young people and, and bringing the kind of young people in for us, this is something that's super important. Is is not just about creating these kind of like random forms or or or, or shapes that may look nice. Is about what is this doing for the local community? How who is it serving? And what is its impact? Thank you. And 
and what was the how the young people react to ideas like that and how like how do you think they feel when they see that they are creating a positive impact in their in their environment the, the, the young people are, are, are proud like one of our projects bringing home to the unknown mm. we started working with young people from Maybrook Park School that knew nothing about architecture they didn't know what architects did they weren't interested in any design related courses but in the end after co-designing a, a pavilion with them they, they were really proud because it spoke to their local community it spoke to their idea of of dwelling in central London and I think a lot of people assume some of these concepts may be maybe too complicated but I, I, don't, I don't I don't think so I think like once you once you start to understand young people and 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 give them the time and and give them the platform you start to come up with concepts that you hadn't imagined mm. um and and the end result is something that they're they're usually quite proud proud of when you've carefully considered what they what they actually want thank you and also i saw that you created a manifesto uh can you a little bit explain about that, uh, the points that are inside that, and why did you feel the need for creating that? So that's actually our, our second manifesto. And I think for us, it's important to have a manifesto so that we we always go back to the manifesto. So we have the manifesto, we also have a vision, and we also have a mission. So these are kind of the three pillars that ground the work that we do because I think with any organization it's super important that you know why you're doing the work who you're serving and what you're trying to achieve in the future and I think the manifesto kind of sets out what we're trying to do how we're trying to empower young people and what skills we we're we're, we're hoping to develop with them so that we can platform their voices and I think that manifesto helps us with when we're when we're picking projects, when we're invited to on, on projects, um, when when we're kind of work with other people, just to always keep our, our work grounded because at the crux of our organization is working with young people and empowering them. And with every project that we do, we have to remember that because there may be opportunities where we're doing work that's slightly different. That's not to say that we that we don't take the project. But we then have to go back through our manifesto and think about what is it that we're trying to achieve in their project? Can we empower young people? Can we upskill them? Can can we create a platform for, for them? If not, maybe this might not be the right project for us. And it's really just it's really something that we go back to and keep and keep kind of reminding ourselves of. But that being said, I think the manifesto can also change because before we had a much longer 10 point manifesto but we wanted to condense it and be a bit more critical and I think it's similar to business strategies like every few years looking at your business and then reflecting is this still what we're doing are mm. moved in a slightly different direction are we doing things slightly different that's not to say that the manifesto will massively change but it's redefining it reinterpreting it based on the work that we've been doing that's great and before go, I go to the last question, uh, I wanted to ask you something that I'm personally curious about. Uh, in your LinkedIn bio, you, write, you wrote that you are trying to work for the diversity and inclusion in the industry. And I'm just curious to know some of the things that you've been doing and how, how you're, you're trying to carry that. Mm. So WAPOR is a is a, a socially minded organization and we work with young people. I have a particular, particular, particular um, interest and, and passion for upskilling and providing opportunities for the marginalized um, in, in architecture, especially at the ethnic minorities and some of the most vulnerable communities because within architecture, um, and again, it goes back to each of us growing up from working class backgrounds, architecture is a very elitist profession, mm -hmm. super elitist, and we see it all the time. Some of the most wealthiest people designing buildings for some of the poorest people in society and just not understanding the issues that they face. And I think for, for us, it's super important that ethnic minorities, for example, get the opportunities to design and inform their own spaces. 
because mm -hmm. they're the people that have the lived experiences. They're the people that really understand the space. Getting someone that's from a completely different class, different, like completely different world and world essentially to design their spaces can, mm -hmm. in, it can, can be damaging at times if, if they don't spend the time to really engage and, and consult the community. So for us, we've we've always tried to 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 be quite open and saying like we've had many financial barriers. Me personally, when when getting into the RCA, for example, I needed to get two scholarships. But going to the RCA, I knew that would help me get the, a, a more critical understanding of of architecture. So for us, it's always about how can we provide opportunities? How can we make the industry more inclusive? How can we make how can we make architecture more inclusive? How can we provide opportunities for people that wouldn't typically get opportunities? Like, how can we make the profession more diverse? And that's that is something that kind of goes to the crux of our our organization. And when we're when we're working with different organizations and different people, we think we're also always thinking about how can we try and be inclusive? Like, how can we provide opportunities for people again that wouldn't typically get opportunities and mm -hmm. I think that's a lot of the time how we end up picking the people on 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 some of our programs so for example Chloe on the build the way program she had financial barriers going into architecture so she wanted to become an architect but mm -hmm. but she couldn't and it's no secret that there's a lack of black females in the architecture profession so for us when she was showing this desire and she applied for the build the way um, internship we looked at all of these things and for us this was super important there were people that may have been more talented than than, than, than chloe mm -hmm. for us it was about she shows a willingness she's passionate and there's already quite a few barriers and hurdles that are stopping her from getting to where she wants to be so how can we try and help and support her because if she wasn't to get this opportunity would there be another opportunity that she that she would be able to get? And these are things that we're always considering. So for the Makers of Mentor program, for example, mm -hmm. Alejandro is a similar similar story. He was he he had financial barriers and he wanted to get into architecture, but he was struggling. So for us, it's about how do we support these people? Because again, there's always going to be students that are more talented, have more resource, have have um. Uh, come maybe come from a quite wealthy family but for mm -hmm. us it's about the students that are passionate but may not may not come from a wealthy family or may not necessarily get an opportunity how can we how can we help those students yeah and I think myself and Larry we were quite fortunate because when we were when we were going through our architectural studies we were part of the Stephen Lawrence Charitable Trust and at the time the trust was had a program called the Building Futures Program and it was helping ethnic minorities get into architecture. Mm -hmm. And I think, I mean, that was super, super useful because there was there was uh, workshops where you would learn how to public speak, how to conduct yourself, how to how to communicate well. And I think that is a way that we can open up the profession because if we can give provide more access, then we will see much more interesting, critical. And, and impactful architecture and design because we're getting a broad range of people from diverse backgrounds contributing instead of it being one specific de demographic that it, it seems to currently be. Yeah, definitely, yeah. And as you say, those are the voices that we are actually, I mean, the ones who are not, they don't have the, maybe, yeah, the financial resources or let's say the political, like there's not a political a uh, structure for supporting them to enter universities are exactly the voices that we are missing from the in industry. And maybe yeah, a lot of the issues that are, we are facing now in the, yeah, environmentally and socially is because that we are missing those voices uh, in the industry. So yeah, that's, that's great what you're doing. Um, this has been great, but I, I think because of the time, I we have to wrap up. I wanted to ask you one more question, um, and yeah, it's about uh, our listeners. Uh, how can they, whether they're a designer or not, they are in architecture, in urban design or not, how can they uh, 
if they're interested in doing community activities with youth, uh, how can they start that maybe in their neighborhood, if you have uh, yeah, any suggestions or if you know of uh, any initiatives, uh, of course, there's yours. Uh, yeah, any other initiatives that they could volunteer with, they could work with and uh, yeah, any suggestions on that end. I, th I think the first thing is to get started and ha have, if you have an idea, plan out the idea. Um, I think a lot of people become quite hesitant because they're like, oh, I don't know if I can actually execute this. I don't know what, like, what I need to do. I think the first thing is having the idea and then working out how you execute it after. Because, for, for example, when we started this, when I was still in, in, in my first year of university, it, it takes time for, for organizations or initiatives or programs to come, come together. Some of our programs have been two years in the making, one, two years to develop the program. But it's about getting the program right, it's putting it together. If you've got an idea, putting it together and, and not rushing it, because a lot of the time people look at things and think, oh, they just came up with this or they came up with that, but they don't understand that it took a lot of conversations, a lot of meetings, mm -hmm. a lot of planning to actually to to build these things so i think that's something to to think about like being patient but also being quite methodical in in terms of what is it that you're trying to achieve if you know you have a a, a local basketball court that needs uplifting and you want your community to come together and paint it or you want to paint a mural in your area it's thinking about the steps how do you go about doing that so do you have a strategy for how you're going to, to 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 get young people involved uh are you gonna do flyers posters have you got contacts in your local area do you know local decision makers that could help help you with this is there funding in your local area like it's super important that you do your research before mm -hmm. you embark in any project and it's similar to building projects where the foundations can take quite a lot of time to get right but then once once the foundations are set the building goes up quite quickly and it's the same the same if you're wanting to work with your local community or or young people you need to set those foundations get your concept your idea plan everything out do your research contact the right people and then once you've got that all sorted the projects will get done quite quickly and the first project is often the one that's quite 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 difficult but once you get that first project then more projects will eventually come but then again that's why i'm saying you've got to you really got to plan out what you're what you're doing because if you plan it out well and people see that you work well then there may be other opportunities in in the future so i think the one of the main things is really planning and and doing your research and then i would i would say the next the next thing is really just make sure you do the job properly um i think there's a lot of transferable skills here like communication time management like being professional being understanding all of these things kind of contribute to to being able to do this work with like local communities and and young people but i think the other thing i, I would kind of mention and kind of to answer to, to bookend the question is is really having an identity so what what is that identity because if you're trying to approach people you mm -hmm. don't really want to be approaching people as as i just i got i got a random idea is like what 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 is it is it is it a, a one-off initiative are you have you got are you making a company now or mm -hmm. uh, like what what is it that you're actually trying to do because if you've got a name you've got a, a a mission a vision a manifesto you've got all of these things quite clear it'll be easy to communicate what you're trying to do to people like maybe you want to create a one-off mural could that mural have a name could that mural have a specific graphic design to it? Could you make an Instagram page? It's just about having all of these things so people can actually find out and learn a bit more about what it is that you're trying to do. And if you have that, I think it just makes it much more easier because you could go around and say, I want to paint a mural. I want to do community work in my area. But what are you showing people for them to buy into that community work that you're, that you're trying to do? Like, even if you don't have previous experience, like, is there things that you could put together? Can you show them, okay, I've got my architecture portfolio, or I previously did painting, or I've got interest in this. It's about putting everything together. And I think, apparently for the designers, thinking about proposals, like, 
not all proposals have to be a building proposal. If you know you want to do a community project, put together a clear proposal and then start reaching out to people, asking them, oh, can I speak to you for mm. or half an hour or could, could I have a quick um, uh, chat with you during a lunch break? Put together a proposal because there's one thing to say you want to do something, but if people could see that you've got a proposal, you've got you thought about the budget, you thought about mm -hmm. the time, you thought about the, how many workshops you're going to deliver, uh, and that the timeline, you thought about all these things, people are going to take you much more serious. So I think making sure that everything is really well considered will help you to 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 get these projects going because I think. Once you get that first project, more will come, but that first one really needs to get done well. Thank you so much, Ron. Thanks a lot. Uh, anything else that you want to share before close the call? Uh, yes, I, th I think the, the, the last thing I'd like to say is if you've got an idea or you've got a concept or there's something that you want to do, you really just have to have to go for it. Like a lot of the time people have ideas but they're a bit skeptical about if the idea would be good or or what people might think or if it would be a success. But don't let don't let these things hold you back. If you know you've got a good idea, try and look for like-minded people. In the same way that me, Ben, Larry, and, and Matt came together, look for people that have similar interests that are interested in the same thing that are that you are interested in, but also are are kind of hardworking, like very professional, like good time management, because they can really help and elevate what your idea is. And you always you always see it. the people that are that are really successful, they have an amazing team around them. Mm -hmm. they, they have people that are very supportive and, and, and help them. So I would say, yeah, if you've got an idea, like, like, don't kind of just sit on the idea. Um, and if you could find people that have a similar idea or, or or similar concept really stick with them because that could that could really help you to to grow your idea into something that's that's tangible it's true thank you so much great great <laughs> finish of the talk um yeah you can you can follow sean on linkedin and his website and also you can follow poor collective they are doing really really uh interesting work and if you like what you heard uh, you can follow Design to Connect on YouTube, Spotify, LinkedIn, Instagram, and a lot of other channels. So thank you again, Sean. Uh, it was great uh, to talk to you. And yeah, thanks again. Thanks for having me.